It's the first Monday of the month, and we are tackling questions on presentations and a whole bunch of other topics, too. Bonnie's joining me. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 182. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show to help leaders improve their communication, strategy, coaching, productivity, and personal mastery. And on the first Monday of the month, we open up the lines to your questions and uh, see what you've been thinking about in relation to either the topic we've uh, presented, which is on presentations this time, or just anything is fair game, of course. And we've got a bunch of them to tackle, and Bonnie's back with me here in the studio to offer her wisdom as well. Hello, Bonnie. Hello, Dave. I always look forward to these each month and just hearing what you're going to say and how we'll approach these differently. And we've got a bunch. So we'll see if we can get to everyone's uh, apologies if we weren't able to get to your question here if we run long on these. But let's jump right in here to the first question. And uh, this first question, Bonnie, is from Rick. Hey, Dave. Rick Gray here from sunny Orlando, Florida, talking about the presentation Q&A for next week. I've got the notes that I've always taken for 10 slides, 30-point font, maximum of uh, 20 minutes, 10 minutes for Q&A. A lot of times, though, I've always heard to tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Can I get your thoughts on that, please? Thanks. Hey, Rick, thanks so much for the question. And before we tackle this, Bonnie, I just want to say, um, I just want to recognize Rick and and. Thank, say a special thank you to him for being, um, I think he's probably listened since the first episode of Coach, Coaching for Leaders. And uh, Rick is so consistent on sharing the, sh- the show on social media each week, sending in comments, uh, sends me notes. We've talked by phone before. So Rick, thanks for being so supportive of the show. I so appreciate it. And uh, Rick, to tackle your question directly, I'm not a big fan of this advice. I'm not sure Bonnie's thoughts on it. But um, the reason I don't love this advice is because it a lot of times people don't ever get past this advice. And I think this is helpful for new speakers. If you've never given a presentation before and you're coaching someone on just how to put together and structure the presentation, I think this is a starting point. The problem is, is I've seen a lot of people who started this way as new speakers and giving a presentation and then never really got out of this. And the reason that I think you need to get out of it is it doesn't make for a very interesting lead into a presentation or a closing to a presentation. Um, When you spend a bunch of time saying what you're going to say, and then you say it, and then you say it again. um, So you get the repetition in there, and I get that, and the summary piece is important, but you just don't, I think you run the risk of not engaging your audience. And I've seen people do this who follow this a little too closely if it just sounds rote when they present. And so that that would be the reason I I would say stay away from this particular advice um, as an overall structure for how you put together presentations, a better way to start would be to tell a story or to uh, compliment the audience in some genuine way or to speak to a nobler motive for what you're there to do. Um, and in fact, uh, when Rick sent in his question, Bonnie, I was thinking about it and wrote an article on it this week for Carnegie Coach. So I'll put a link in the show notes to it. And in fact, uh, for those of you who haven't listened For a bit for the show, back in episode 126, I tackled this entire topic in a pretty big way. So you can certainly check that out as well. Bonnie, what's your thoughts on this? I know you've coached a lot of presenters over the years. 
Well, when I first started my career, I taught computer training classes and they were actually eight hour classes. And I grew up with this advice, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them and tell them what you told them. And I am also now in general, not a fan of it either, especially for presentations. Having said that though, I wouldn't want to mislead you too much because I do think when you're, if you're going to do a workshop of some kind, it's going to go on any length of time. I think people like to know what's the flow of the day going to look like? Are we going to have some breaks and approximately when will those breaks take place? So I tend to have always like to have up on a dry erase board at a minimum, if not some kind of a handout with an agenda on it. I also like to have a parking lot of some kind where things come up that are not on our agenda, we can negotiate together so they know I'm respecting everyone's time. And if there's enough time, we can certainly get to the things on the parking lot, but also want to make sure we don't miss any of the core elements that were in the workshop. So I wasn't entirely sure if we're just talking about a half hour 45 minute presentation, that structure, as Dave said, can be somewhat limiting. I did want to point out to you a really great resource that I liked a bunch and ordered a copy of it and then loaned it out and, and haven't quite gotten it back to read the whole entire thing yet. So but I, send it back, whoever has it. <laughs> she, she's been trying. <laughs> she's been trying. If you're listening, send it in. <laughs> At any rate, I skimmed it and it's a really good way of structuring your presentation in a way that will really engage your listeners. And it's Dan Rome. And I first was introduced to Dan, Dan Rome, who thinks we should sh throw PowerPoint out the window and go back to the old fashioned back of the napkin. And he has a great book called back of the napkin and a, a new way. It's actually revisiting an old way, making an old way new, how we can have conversations with people and have that visual support, but do it in a much more meaningful, authentic way. And then, so he came out with a book called Show and Tell, how everyone can give great presentations. And it basically walks you through some different types of presentations and how to map them out. It's a really quick read, a great resource if you're preparing a presentation. So Rick, hope that gives you a few ideas and one more resource if you're looking for a different way to approach this is Dale Carnegie's book, The Quick and Easy Way to Effective Speaking. We definitely teach a different style uh, at Dale Carnegie on how to engage people, and that is an extremely fast read, and it's a classic read. So I would uh, certainly advise that as well if you're looking for more resources. So hope that helps, Rick, and let us know what you do with it. And I second Bonnie's thoughts on timing definitely makes a difference. Half day or full day, you definitely want to do some more telling people what you're going to tell them. Okay, so let's um, let's tackle this next question, Bonnie. This one came in from Jay, and Jay asked, um, Jay actually mentions Daniel Pink, one of my favorite authors. He says that uh, one of, Jay, Daniel Pink said that one of the most important qualities of a leader was the ability of the leader to insulate their team members from the noise of the organization. And however, I've also seen that the act of insulating one's team can get the leader into trouble. Ultimately, insulating one's team members sometimes means saying no to new projects so that uh, more important existing projects can get done. This very thing, the insulation of the team, has the tendency to create a great working environment for the followers, but simultaneously putting the leader in jeopardy with his superiors. How, did you, how do you suggest dealing with such a quandary? In essence, the right, is, is it the right thing to do for the leader's people and, consequence, and consequently the organization? Um, or is it also the is the also thing that very well may lead to the political difficulty for the leader, um, Bonnie? What what are your thoughts on this? I know I know you've probably dealt with this before. You've led a large team of people as an executive, and is this something you ran into? And how did you approach this? One of the questions I have, I guess, for you first, I don't remember this Daniel Pink reference about 
insulating teams from the noise. Do you remember it? I, I'm not recalling it, but I haven't read everything that Pink has written. Um, there, there was he had an earlier book before Drive, so could be in there. I laugh because I, I have uh, Dave and I both use this service called Goodreads, and it's now connected with Amazon because Amazon bought them, and it's really fun to be able to set goals for how many books you want to read this year, and then get to track your progress. And I'm really far ahead of you are my rocking it. I'm reading. <laughs> and Dave bought me a Kindle. It was sort of, I guess it was officially a Valentine's gift, although we don't normally do Valentine's Day, but I think you used that as an excuse because it coincided with a foot surgery I had. So I was out of commission for a bit. And all that to say, as a kind of winding my way around to your direct question, your indirect question about saying no to other managers and how to do that well, I just finished reading a book called Essentialism, which Dave has talked about before on Mm -hmm. the show. The core message of essentialism is for us to be better about doing less and having that less be better. And ultimately the fulfillment that comes with that being much greater than when we try to chase after every opportunity. And he really goes into a lot of different aspects of essentialism and what does that look like in the career world? What does that look like for family? What does it look like? I mean, I I can't even remember all the things that he talks about with regards to that. But what really stuck out to me was being good about saying no and the confidence behind that and really sort of negotiating with another leader when they're asking you to do something, being able to do that in a courteous but also assertive way to, to lead well. So that'd be a resource to look into if you're having some challenges with navigating that setting boundaries and helping that leader prioritize. You're really managing up. That's the expression that gets used there. I actually, my my strength, which also was a weakness when I was a senior leader in an organization is I'm really good at building teams, really strong teams. And one of the nature of my just inherent personality is I love to collaborate. So the idea of bringing people together, setting up some goals and having a vision and collaborating and cooperating together to work toward that, that's a very satisfying default setting natural thing for me to do. In a lot of organizations, that's not a natural thing for people to do. People get promoted to the director level, to the VP level, and it wasn't always because they were good at building teams. And so if you, you're absolutely right, if you insulate your team too well, which I most certainly did in an organization, it can have some pretty negative ramifications. And I think I really had to grow a lot in being able to not just manage up, but also manage sideways and getting with other people in the organization and being able to partner with them and build trust with them. And I certainly have probably more mistakes I could share with you in that area than successes. And as I look back, I was grateful for the opportunity to have some failures and to learn from them. And that being said, I will also just say in my experience While I do have some things, learnings I took away from that experience, I also just think it's a tough position to be in. People often get into positions like that. They might feel threatened by you. They might not even be able to articulate that to themselves, let alone to you. (laughs) Would they ever have the trust and vulnerability to say that to you? So it's tough. I do think when things are hard and they're difficult, it can be helpful to be somewhat insulating to your team, to be over communicating to the extent that you're able to, whatever you are able to share with them, to share that and to set up a really good way of tracking achievements and goals and recognizing people. So I I guess I, but, but I do think you do it too much and 
it's not going to help overall the organization because so much, that's why I would be so interested if you could call, call back or, or send another email. I'd be really interested in knowing where he said this because I'd like to know the context in which he said that. Mm, yeah. So, And when it was written, I mean, so much today, our work takes place in a much more networked environment than it ever has before, much more matrixed. And so I, I read, I'm reading so much right now. One of the guy is um, Jarky, it's J-A-R-C-H-E. And he writes a lot about personal knowledge management and personal knowledge mastery, which Dave and I have talked about before on this show. But he also talks a lot about the networked organization and how is the workplace changing today. And so since I've been reading so much of him, I would be much more cautioning you to say, no, we got to be leading teams to know and thrive in a networked workplace. Well, it's interesting you say that because that's the same thing that Dale Carnegie's found in our research over the last year or two is just this influencing through the matrix is becoming a huge buzz term. And we're, we're it, it gone are the days where you just report to one person. I mean, you may do that still on an org chart, but you have different constituents and you have stakeholders that you're talking to three, four, five, ten 10 people in a day, depending on the kind of work you do and the kind of project involved. So it's it's definitely a bigger issue. I don't think I have anything to add to what you said, Bonnie. I I love it. I love your advice. So yeah, tell uh, Jay, drop us a line and let us know if that's helpful and what else uh, we can helpful be helpful with there on context. Um, let's jump over to a question here from Phil. Hi, Dave. Great podcast. Uh, listen to it as often as I can here in England. Um, coming up in the end of April. I have to present a review and analysis on my personal leadership over the last 12 months. Now, my question to you is, how would you go about presenting this uh, review? Would you look at the positives first? Would you look at the negatives first? Um, would you summarize it in bullet points? You know, how would you, would you make use of PowerPoint? How would you look into audience engagement? Um, what sort of literature would you read up on? Would you look to a specific... Uh, theorist on leadership and coaching. Um, any help would be greatly appreciated. Um, and I say brilliant podcast. Um, it's been very insightful and very useful to me over my uh, past 12 months. Thank you very much. Hey, Phil, thank you so much for the question. And uh, I'm so glad the show has been helpful to you. Gosh, uh, so many different ways we can go with this. I think I'll, I'll, I'll mention a couple of things. So one is from as far as literature, things that might be helpful. Um, and I know you've already tapped into this. Um, the the guide I've put together on the ten leadership books that will be helpful to you in getting results from others, I think, is a wonderful place to start. I think any of those books are really helpful as far as a leadership philosophy. So I would choose one that speaks to you. Start there and begin there from a from a standpoint of leadership. Um, so hopefully that that is helpful from that standpoint. Uh, just one that 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 I think is. Uh, is really good just as kind of an overall holistic leadership model is uh, Kuzis and Posner's book, The Leadership Challenge. I think it's in its fourth or fifth edition. So just do a search on Amazon and see what the newest edition is. Um, they've just got a great overall framework for leadership. So that's that's certainly a place to start that a lot of organizations, um, even if they don't use that model, they're certainly aware of it. Um, the other thing I'd say is, you know, certainly some of the presentation ad, uh, advice we gave to Rick, I think would apply here. Um, but I think overall, just be you, be you on your story. I mean, I think it's great, by the way, that your organization has a process of having you give a presentation and talk about 
what you've learned as a leader and and how you've developed a, a lot of organizations don't take the time to do that. So I think it's awesome that your organization does that. That's really cool. Um, I would be you and and bring in evidence and examples when you can. Uh, be a storyteller. So bring in the uh, bring in the here's a situation where something great happened, uh, and also bring in the situation where something didn't go how you expected and what you learned from that. And I think that if I was if I was part of your leadership team or your peers, I would want to hear both. I'd want to hear what worked for you and what successes you had. And I'd also want to hear where you stumbled and where you fell and what you learned from that. Uh, that's just as important as the successes you had in your leadership development. Uh, so I would I would do that if you can. And, and I think it might be interesting too, to the extent possible, to bring in some of that evidence or storytelling from a third party. So I don't know if you've done any assessments or or maybe even you just ask a couple of people who work with you closely for comments of, you know, what would they say about what they've seen you learn and their experiences with you over the last year? I think that'd be fun to bring into a presentation or to bring in as far as written feedback um, and just to explore and have fun with that and to show that you're you're willing to listen and to learn and to be present with people in dialogue. So those are the things that come to mind for me. How about you, Bonnie? I was sitting over here and I was trying to think of the name of the resource I would recommend. And then you mentioned it, although I can't ever pronounce their last names. The Koozies. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's Koozies and Posner. Okay. Yeah, the Leadership <laughs> Challenge. It's a really solid book. I was going to mention, because to me, you can stand up and you can say all you want to about how you've grown as a leader, but without any sort of evidence to back that up, yeah. it can be a little bit problematic. So I would be thinking about taking their 360 degree assessment. It's a really easy to do tool. It's not that expensive to do. And just a nice way of having some solid evidence around areas of opportunity where you may need to grow a bit as a leader and where your real strengths lie. The other thing for me, a lot of the definition of leadership for me is influencing people toward shared goals. And I would be thinking about ultimately, if I'm going to consider my success as a leader, it's did the goals get achieved or not? And were they truly shared goals? And was I one who influenced toward them? Or was I trying to control toward those goals and trying to be more of a micromanager or doing more dictating that kind of thing. So a lot of this will depend on your own personal definition of leadership that might have been informed by some of the reading that you do, but you've synthesized it to be very specific to what you believe a leader does. Thanks, Bonnie. Phil, I hope that's helpful. Let us know what you find uh, valuable there and what you decide to do. And uh, let's see here. Let's go on to a question from... Charles. Uh, Charles asks, uh, he actually posted this on uh, the website, Bonnie. I think that he had listened to the How to Hire a Coach show that we did just a few episodes ago uh, with Mark Mawinney. And uh, he posted this question, uh, how does one know if what one needs is a professional coach, life slash career coach, or a therapist? Are there professionals which wear both hats? I'm currently in transition from a solopreneur to possibly going back in the corporate world after about 12 years. Uh, it's not a transition that I'm eager for, and it is accompanied by a good measure of anxiety, confusion, self-doubt, etc. My feeling is that I need someone who can objectively guide me through answering some basic questions at this point in my life, uh, as in, what do I really want to do? What are my real strengths, etc.? while also helping me manage the emotional issues. I know this is a tall order. Um, should I be seeking one person who can offer a holistic view or two very different professionals who may or may not offer conflicting advice. 
Charles, boy, a lot we could say here, and we could certainly do a whole episode, and maybe we should at some point, about the some of the distinctions between coaching and, and therapy and consulting and the different um, the different resources. Um, one of the things that I I think of, and I think a lot of people frame it this way. This will be a little bit of an oversimplification, but coaching is about the is about the present going forward into the future. Therapy is about reframing the past. And um, I would I would certainly be a proponent of doing both. Both are important. I have hired coaches and therapists in my life. Um, I know Bonnie has as well. And uh, and I think there are times and places when you need both of those professionals. Um, to answer your question directly, yes, there are people who do both. I'm not really aware of people who do both at the same time with the same client. I think that's probably kind of a gray zone. And I think most professionals... Uh, even if they are trained in both disciplines, at least that I know of, make a pretty pretty distinct decision with clients that they're working with of, yes, I am wearing the hat as, as a coach with this person and this client, and I'm wearing a hat as a therapist with this you know, with this other client. And in fact, I don't know many people, I believe, that do both. Um, so I would be cautious about hiring someone that would do all of those things for you. I think you're probably looking for two different people if you feel that you want someone who's going to help you to um, to be a resource and the guide and the path forward and also someone who would be resourceful to you in reframing the past if that's something you feel like you need to do. And 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 I guess I'd also add in here before I turn it over to Bonnie, the anxiety, confusion, and self-doubt you talk about, that is really normal if you're going through a major transition. Um, and I think that those are the real human emotions that come with this. If you're feeling that, it's normal. Um, yes, a professional can be really helpful in those areas, but uh, but also know that it, we, I think, all of us experience that when we're going through a big career transition or any major transition in life. So this is the point in the show where I totally disagree with Dave. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one of those every Q and A show. Not every time. <laughs> I, Pretty much everyone. <laughs> I have a little bit more of a background in the counseling therapy role, and while some some views or paradigms about counseling, some approaches do help people reframe their past. There are many different models of counseling. And in fact, I just listened to a really cool episode of a new podcast called Invisibilia that talked about different types of therapy and how people go about like more of a Freudian type one, more of a I forgot what they phrased it, but in the moment kind of one just teaching people in the moment, it was all framed around people who have violent thoughts and they're really obviously very concerned about having violent thoughts. And so this guy hmm. in, the, in, in, in the Amazon reviews or the, sorry, the iTunes reviews, they were criticizing the podcast for being oversimplifying types of therapy, but they weren't oversimplifying quite as much. As, as, as I'm sure we will be criticized said. for this question <laughs> of oversimplifying things. But it's just like with anything, you want to find a good match. So for me, I don't really want to spend a lot of time looking at my past when I go see a therapist. That's not what my goal is. I tend to be more of a future oriented person. I also don't really want someone giving me a lot of guidance. So in a therapy environment, I would be looking for someone who can re not just reframe, but help ask questions to help me see what it is I'm feeling. Cause sometimes I can't even get there myself. And so is this what you're saying? Kind of mirroring back. It's called gestalt therapy. Is that, that mirroring back what they hear you saying? 
And I have found that to be particularly helpful. I have not found it helpful to have therapists who give me advice. So for me, the therapy is about managing through some of the emotion, managing through some of the anxiety, the feelings oriented things that you talked about. I would have a bias that would say a therapist would probably be more experienced and and more effective at helping you navigate some of those, as Dave said, very natural feelings, but still ones I have found helpful to navigate with another professional. And on the coaching side, in the coaches that I have worked with, I have found a a need for more directness. I just hired a coach about a month ago to coach me a little bit on a piece of software that Dave and I use called OmniFocus. But of course, with any piece of software that's a personal time management, project management tool, it's not just about the software click here, do this, but it is more about how to be more effective. And ultimately this tool helps us be more effective. And in that case, he would, we actually did some screen sharing. And by the way, I would be happy to share his name is Tim Stringer. He's been on Dave's show. And he will be on the next episode. Oh, how weird. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. He's, I mean, he's a wonderful coach. I'll be, I'll be calling you again. He knows, he knows I will be. Tim, watch your email. (laughs) I had wanted to make sure I put into practice some of the things that we had discussed before paying him for more of the time, but it was really worth it. But in that case, we were screen sharing and he would see how I was approaching things and I would talk him through some of the challenges and he would say, gosh, I wouldn't do it that way. Instead, I would do it this way because of X, Y, and Z. And then he'd share his and he'd say, see how this is set up. He was being more directive with me and and questioning the way I was approaching something. And with a coach, I think that's appropriate. And I guess that's just how I view it. The coach is, I've got this goal and the coach is going to help me navigate toward that goal by bringing in different resources that might help. And whether that's a resource as a book or a software tool or what have you, other people that might be good to have in the mix toward heading toward that goal. That's not as much what a therapist would do. I mean, they might recommend some kind of quote unquote homework. I had the therapist that I saw most recently when we were trying to have babies and weren't able to, (laughs) and she would sometimes have me, I want you to think about this this week or, or do this. And I'd, I'd come back in having reflected on something, but it's not quite as much bringing in other resources as I found with coaches. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure we'll get a few emails on this question because we have a lot of coaches who listen in the audience. Um, and so, you know, Bonnie's example here from, uh, Tim's coaching, I mean, the, the coaching purists out there would say, well, that's not even coaching, that's consulting because you're telling someone you know, what to do, you're being directive. And so I, I think the, the overall message here, which I hope came out on this show we did with Mark too, is find someone who's going to work for you. So whether it's you want someone who's going to reflect back to you what, what you need to hear, whether someone's going to be directive, whether it's you need someone who's going to help you to reframe the past. Um, so I, I'm going to stick with my original uh, thought here on those are two kind of different things from the future and the past. But one of the things I would say very much in alignment with Bonnie is, you know, start with one person, start with one person, find if that is, if that person is going to be helpful to you. Cause I think it's a lot more about personal fit and the person mm-hmm. that's going to be helpful to you than it is sometimes about what exact hat they're wearing and what they're doing in the moment. I know even when I work with clients and I'm doing coaching, there are times I put on a consultant hat uh, and will give advice because I just think that that's what they need to hear. And yeah, it's not pure coaching, but you know what? So what? I mean, I'm I'm there to add value to their lives. And if I think that that's the hat I can wear in that moment, yes. I mean, and there's all the legal things that go along with therapy and all that. So obviously be conscious of that. Um, but, you know, I, I think the, find the person that's going to work for you. And, uh, and if you find that person, then they're going to be a resource for you, a good coach, therapist, consultant, whoever they are. 
when you get into territory that they can't, can't help with, is going to say to you, here's who you need to talk to next. Here's someone I know that I trust that's going to help you in this particular situation. So, all right, have we beaten that to a pulp? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what emails come in with uh, other thoughts. And by the way, if you do have a different thought on that, I hope you'll uh, add to the conversation. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash 182. And particularly, I'd love to hear from coaches in our audience as well. Let's uh, tackle, I think we have time for one final question here, Bonnie. Let's tackle a question here from Ellie. Hi, this is uh, Ellie from Hong Kong. And I have been listening to your podcast, which is very um, fruitful and very useful information I have. And thank you very much, Dave. Another question regarding reward schemes, because uh, our company is the company that reward employees and the partners that they do great and have a very high performance. I wonder if you could suggest us any um, effective reward schemes uh, so that we can uh, make them on our partners, uh, I mean the business partners, so that they can drive their results. Thank you so much. Ellie, thank you so much for the question. And unfortunately, this came in on our voicemail line, and there's a couple of words here that that, uh, died out right at the critical point. It's almost like you're calling us from Hong Kong. It's almost like you're calling us from Hong Kong. So, (laughs) Ellie, I hope we we get your question. If we don't, by all means, send me an email or or call back and we'll uh, we'll tackle it again. Um, But I think what you're asking is about reward programs and incentives and how do you structure that in your organization is is kind of generally what I'm hearing. So um, I have a couple of immediate thoughts on that. One of them is if you haven't already found it, uh, back... Gosh, about two years ago, I had Michelle Smith on the show from OC Tanner, which is the leader in the recognition industry. And we did on episode 79 and 80, the benefits of having a recognition program and also what would be the ways you would actually put one together. There's a ton of wisdom in those two shows from Michelle that I think would be really helpful to anyone who's thinking about putting together a recognition program. And it is just as relevant today as it was two years ago when we recorded it. So definitely check that out. She's got a lot of thoughts, ideas. I, I won't repeat them here, but um, I think if you can if you can get your arms around that conversation, that will help you as a starting point. The other thing that comes to mind for me, Bonnie, is um, getting back to Daniel Pink, how we started the show, is the book Drive. Uh, it is on my top 10 list. I... I, I love the book as far as a book about human motivation and what are the things that matter. And um, Pink in the book goes through three areas that that he's identified through the research that I think are really solid. And I've seen this come up in so many other books. In fact, talked about it last week on um, on the show about creating the best place to work uh, with Ron Friedman. And he's his research has found the same thing is the importance of purpose. You know, do you feel like what you do is something that actually it, does something great for the world. So do you feel called to do that? So purpose is key. Uh, having an appropriate level of autonomy, that it's not just someone telling me what I what to do, but that I actually have some say in how it happens and the work that I create. And um, and then and then finally some ability to learn and master a skill over time and to become more effective at doing that. And so I think that if I was thinking about putting together a recognition program for an organization, I'd certainly want to think about just what do the recognition professionals say, like Michelle Smith, but I'd also want to think of those kind of those three things that people are motivated by in organizations. 
and then talking to the people in the organization and 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 having a conversation about you know where where does that show up for you what's what's motivating what's where do you feel that you get connected and i think you have to get into some depth there because one of the things i think michelle smith would say is if you ever if you ever ask people what do they want is the reward or the incentive they just people always say more money but the research shows that when you give people more money that it doesn't really result in that's not really a motivator for most people. And it's not something that's often remembered when it's given as an incentive or a reward. And one of the articles that always comes to mind for me when thinking about rewards and incentives is, and I always get the, <laughs> I always think it's Harvard Business Review who published it. And then every time Dave says, no, it's no, the I know what you're gonna say. American Management Academy, I think, yeah. on the folly of rewarding A while hoping for B, I believe is the name of it. And Dave will put that in the show notes. So if I've once again, tongue-tied the title, he'll get it right for us in the show notes. But at any rate, what I love about that article, it's just a classic read. It, it Every time I read it, it starts me thinking about what is it that we are hoping for and how to align rewards with things. And so, for example, so many companies will say that they want to reward teamwork and they value teamwork and that the best results are going to come from people working together. And then if you dig one layer deeper and you look at what their bonuses are based on, they're based on individual performance. Mm. And that's just, I mean, that's one classic example. The article has many, many examples in lots of different contexts and can contexts and can help you really get thinking about how are your rewards actually lining up with where you're trying to aim and what you're trying to reward. A big thank you to Bonnie, as always, and a few notes here on the back end of the show. First of all, I was wrong about the therapy question that Charles asked. I'm recording this uh, segment a few days after Bonnie and I recorded our segment, and I have a good friend who's a psychologist, and we happen to have our kids playing together on the playground this weekend, and so I got to talking to him about the difference between coaching and therapy, and uh, he had some thoughts on it, and he basically said I was wrong. He said it in a really, really nice way, but he basically said I was wrong. You know, therapy is about reframing the past, but that's not all that therapy is about. There are other things involved with it, too, uh, as those of you who are therapists already know and probably are thinking. <laughs> and uh, so Bonnie's answer was much more accurate and reflective of the profession than mine was. So... There you go. So sorry for uh, misleading you on that question there. In my defense, in my defense, uh, I did. Uh, he did say that a lot of therapists do approach therapy only that way of reframing the past, and so it would make sense that I had that perception. I'm pretty sure that still means I'm wrong, but it did at least make me feel a little bit better. So, Charles, the one thing I know for sure that's right, uh, that both Bonnie and I said, I think, is find the person who's the right fit for you, whether they're a coach or a therapist. And if they're not, fire them and find someone who is. You know, life's just too short to not get uh, great attention and great service uh, in a coaching relationship and a therapeutic relationship, whichever one it is. So, uh, so I wish you the best in doing that. And uh, keep me in the loop if uh, we can help further. Another resource that I wanted to mention based on the topic of today's show, which was presentations, and a number of the questions were on presentations, is many of you know that I also air 
a Carnegie Coach podcast. That's a daily show that airs Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It's much different than this show. It's only five or 10 minutes a day, but it's a practical piece of wisdom from Dale Carnegie's library each day. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because we just completed a long series on presentation skills. And I made mention in the episode of some of the things we teach at Dale Carnegie. If you really want to get into the depth on that and kind of know more about what we teach in our high-impact presentations courses and some of the content there, I'd really uh, suggest checking that out for those of you who want to get into that in more detail. Uh, It starts at episode 47 and goes through episode 60. Uh, You can find it on iTunes or Stitcher. Just search for Carnegie Coach. And if you want to get there directly, it's carnegiecoach.com slash 47 is the first in that series. I think that'll be helpful for those of you who are looking for more resources on practical skills around presentations using the methodology that Dale Carnegie has been teaching our clients for over 100 years. So uh, check that out if that's helpful to you. One final note this week, speaking of Dale Carnegie, Dale Carnegie said in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, that uh, a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. And that was the primary reason that a couple of years ago, I started thanking people by name who subscribed to the weekly leadership guide that I sent on Wednesdays by email. And it's one way that I've attempted to make a personal connection with those of you who've listened to the show and subscribed to the weekly leadership guide, and uh, and to let you know that I notice and I'm listening to you and and that I really enjoy being connected with you and to thank you for that. And I know a lot of people like that and have written me over the years have been uh, very gracious for, take, for me taking the time to do that. I got an email this week that made me realize uh, that I had not considered one aspect of that, and that's the privacy aspect. Um, I uh, Someone had emailed and said, you know, they'd rather not have their name shared online or shared by broadcast. And uh, it had never really occurred to me uh, until getting that email that uh, there's probably a lot of other people out there too that may not be subscribing to the guide or may not have wanted their name or information shared. I never shared anyone's information, of course, just name. Um, but uh, but that, that might be a stopping point. And it's certainly never been my intention to uh, share anyone's name in a way that would make them feel uncomfortable. And so I've decided to end that practice uh, partially for that reason. But the other reason is actually a practical reason. And in fact, I've seen this even before I saw the email this week. Uh, I've seen this coming for a month or so, and you've heard it if you've listened to the show for a while, is uh, there's a lot of people joining the leadership guide each week. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Something like 40 plus people just joined in the last week. And I, I just happened to go look on our account uh today. And uh, we had almost 90,000 people download this show and Bonnie's show on our media account just in the month of February. So that's all the current shows, but also the back catalog that people still listen to uh, all the past four years of this show. That is a really large number. I mean, it's really hard for me to get even my mind around how big that number is. That's larger than most sports stadiums in the world. I'm not sure what to say other than thank you. Thank you for putting your trust in me and Bonnie and all of the guests who've come on this show to influence you on a weekly basis. And uh, and we've gotten to this point now where it's not practical for me to read all of the names at the end of every show. We it's been going on a couple of minutes, and uh, and in a 
30, 40 minute show. It's just not practical to continue to do that. So at the same time, this, this is in some ways a good problem to have, but it's also, it, 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 it's one that I sort of do regretfully because I do like keeping that personal connection with everyone in the audience. So I'm conscious of the adage, do for an individual that which you wish you could do for everyone. So starting next week, I plan to air a short segment at the end of each show featuring a member of the Coaching for Leaders community in their own words. So you can get to know some of the people who are in this audience. And if you're hearing these words, that's you. You're a member of the community. So I'm going to start making some invitations soon to do that uh, to people who have been longtime listeners and people that I talk with on a regular basis. But you need not wait for an invitation. And I'm actually going to need some help in the short term as I get that system up and running. So if you'd like to be considered to be featured in this segment at the end of of, of an upcoming show, Uh, send me an email to feedback at coachingforleaders.com and put in the subject line feature. And I will definitely get back to you in the uh, short to medium term with some more information on how you could record that. I do plan to do them by audio, but it'll be in your words. Um, and, And just to share some information about you and uh, and why you listen to the show, I think that'll be something that'll be really helpful and valuable to people. And so not only will that allow me to continue to highlight people who wish to be highlighted, I actually think it's going to be a lot better because it's going to come from you directly versus me. And you'll pronounce your name right, <laughs> unlike uh, I know I mess up people's names every week. So again, feedback at coachingforleaders.com and put in the subject line the word feature I might not reply immediately, but I'll get back to you shortly with some more details. Uh, Thank you in advance if you decide to do that. And thank you to everyone who continues to to join the Weekly Leadership Guide. I'm just thrilled to be able to connect with you over email each week. Uh, So a few more logistics here. Uh, If you have comments or questions on anything else, certainly feel free to join at coachingforleaders.com slash 182. That's the place to leave comments on the show here. The next Q&A show will be episode 187. The topic will be coaching for that show since we got to talking about coaching this time. I'm sure folks have some more questions on that. So if you have a question for that show upcoming, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And speaking of the weekly leadership guide, please do join if you haven't already, especially if you've been holding off because you didn't want your name shared. The guide is delivered to your inbox each Wednesday and includes my thoughts and recommendations on the best articles, podcasts, videos, books, and other resources that will support your development between the shows. It also includes the link to everything that's in the weekly show notes. So if you're listening on the go like I do, it'll give you a way to follow up. There's a lot of links from this week's episode, for example. So definitely check that out. And you can join at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And when you do, you'll get the weekly leadership guide, of course, but you'll also get access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others with brief summaries from me on the value of each of the books. Uh, One of them we talked about today, The Leadership Challenge, a great book. So download that 11-page reader's guide and the nine-minute video on those book recommendations, plus insight on the two I rely on weekly. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And I will continue to thank people who uh, have taken the time to write a review online for the show. Sue Barber, thanks a million, Sue. I really appreciate the kind review you left on iTunes this week. And also the person named OSU Busser, which I have a feeling might be someone in Ohio. 
might be a Buckeye fan. If that's you, thank you so much. I really appreciate both of those kind reviews. If the show's been helpful to you, a great way you can help is by sharing it with someone else. And another way you can help is by writing a review online. If you use iTunes, go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. And if you use Stitcher, coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher is the way to do that. Have a fabulous week. And I look forward to talking with you next week. Don't miss it. It's going to be something different next week. Take care.